city and the food and the culture and people and everyone's been very very kind um as well so it's it's been been cool nice nice that's good yeah. moving i guess to new countries is probably pretty intimidating so it's good that like all that stuff lined up and feels good uh i've never done that <laughs> it's extremely stressful sounding yeah, I mean, this is, I grew up in Seattle really my, my whole life. I've traveled around, of course, but never really lived in a different city. So, um, you know, first time and doing it big, uh, but it's been, it's been pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. And then on top of that, my wife is also pregnant. So that, that, <laughs> that happened. Yeah, she's, she's about five months along. So that was kind of like, we moved here like nine months ago. So it was pretty this is kind of one event after the other, but we're sure. very, very excited. Yeah, that's awesome. Congratulations. We just yeah. had our Thank you, sir. third on Thanksgiving. Uh, oh, congratulations. Thanks. That's a good Thanksgiving. Yeah, we, we're, our family's like low-key trying to uh, take over holidays. Like my son turned three <laughs> on Christmas. His birthday's Christmas. Uh, my wife oh. was born on Valentine's Day. Now my youngest <laughs> was born on Thanksgiving. We got married on Independence Day. We just like... Try to take oh, all my the holidays God. over. That way there's like always it. something like going it. on. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. <clears throat> well, yeah, congrats. That's dope. Do you know do you know what you're having or are you keeping it a secret? Uh it's gonna be a boy with eighty percent um accuracy so far. Right. So yeah. Super, super stoked. Yeah, that's dope, dude. Congrats. That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, the only thing I'm not gonna try and give advice because that's weird. I always love. I need advice. The only thing <laughs> I'll say is you are going to be far more capable than you're going to assume that you are. You're gonna be really terrified, uh -huh. and then you're gonna be like, "Oh, no, I got this." Uh, the most the <laughs> most stressful stuff comes when they start having their own identity. Uh, my daughter's <laughs> seven. My daughter's seven, and she's got a really strong personality, and she's also highly emotional. So uh, oh. when she starts doing things, I have to like, okay, you're trying to figure out what that emotion is. I'm going to let you. It's going to suck for me, but like, I'm not going to stamp down. But that stuff's all like years ahead. The first two or three years with a kid is it's, it rules. It rules. They're just like, <laughs> they're just like little balls of goo. <laughs> they don't do anything. Yeah. They don't get in, in trouble. They don't like yell at you. It's great. <laughs> i appreciate hearing that yeah uh, the whole uh you know the kind of creature mode of them not really having their own human identity yet yeah. is is fascinating but yeah i haven't even crossed the bridge i was thinking the other day i was like oh my gosh like they're gonna be in high school in like 2040 and i'm thinking <laughs> you know and i'm like wait don't think that far ahead don't yeah, think don't that do far that. ahead one foot that. in front of the other <laughs> yeah, you'll occasionally you'll accidentally do that on occasion, and it's always funny, but it's always also like, ugh. like we were talking about like, Marvel holy. one time, and we were like, oh, they're doing like they're starting over, they're trying like Phase One again, and like when Iron Man came out, it was ten years until we got Thanos. So like, be patient. Completely unrelated conversation to kids, and then I was like, yeah, if it <laughs> takes ten years, like my daughter will be sixteen when, and we all went, ugh. <laughs> And stopped immediately. <laughs> like we can't do that. Don't do that. It makes my brain hurt. Yeah. Driver's licenses. Oh. Oh man. Yeah. Drivers. Uh, no. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My daughter now says that she has a boyfriend, and we're like, all right. You're, oh no. You're six. And then 
the one question that eased our minds was like, does he know that he has a girlfriend? And she was like, no. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that doesn't count. Sorry, kid. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, kids are great. Congratulations. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, we're excited. We're excited. We're excited. Overwhelmed, but excited. Very excited. Hell yeah. I have one question that's like immediate, that it does feel like kind of usurping the conversation we were just having, but I have to ask. We talked probably last year or was it longer mm-hmm. last time we talked though Gosh, uh, it must have been last year yeah hopefully <laughs> if it was further than that time is moving too fast um <laughs> last time we talked one thing that sticks out i've been playing lamplighters league i just got to it because like the fall's crazy i had a kid also um and like january february has nothing going on so i'm like i'm gonna catch up on my backlog games this question's been burning a hole in my pocket we talked last year, and one of the things that I pointed out was that a lot of your scores use like electronic uh, supplementation, not like replacing things, but you just add kind of an electric air to things if you can. And I haven't mm-hmm. noticed that in Lamplighters League. Did you still supplement with some electronic stuff, or did you try to go more analog? Yeah, that was like one of the first touchstones of the project i set up for myself five years ago it must have been when i first got the concept was i'm not going to use any synths no synthetic um gear uh on on any part of the score and i kind of set that up as like you know it's sort of a artistic personal challenge for me uh, in one realm but I also, I really am fond of creating these sorts of constraints for projects because it, it you kind of like fight yourself out of a, a problem and you get pretty creative at that point. Not saying that just recording with orchestras is necessarily more, more creative, but um, I think with this particular product, because it occupied, or this, this project, it occupied such a um, specific sort of niche it was this pulpy 90s action film kind of aesthetic uh with a little bit of indiana jones mummy kind of thrown in there um i just really wanted to latch on to that and like hold on to that idea really tightly and and also um maybe sort of selfishly break myself out of uh any uh, preconceived preconceptions about how I approach prod projects as well. Cause sure. I think, you know, a lot of people, they see the the work that I've done and they say, Oh, that's, you know, he's the guy that does the, the synths and the orchestra together, which I still love to do. And I'm doing a lot of that still right now, but I also wanted to kind of show or at least test myself to see like, Oh, can I, can I do a score that doesn't use any synths? And it was a ton of fun to do. Um, there are a few tracks in the in the um, soundtrack where we it sounds like it's synths. There's a lot of like uh, processed mm-hmm. um, stuff, but it's all from um, from our recording sessions. So we, I I would take like the string stems or the percussion stems and run them through a program that does like it's called Paul Stretch, and it kind of stretches things out to a, a ridiculous degree and processing with with those sorts of things really basic processing though not like a, a incredibly complex 
uh, processing. Yeah, not like fully altering, just kind of toying with. Yeah. So that was that that and that was like a very specific part of the game where it was it was like um you know a kind of an unveiling of the um this strange uh, universe that we mm -hmm. that they've created um so it was it was for a pretty specific moment but yeah that was that was one of the rules that I set for myself pretty early on about um using uh not using synths sure sure yeah i I don't know when I caught it, but like five or six hours in, I was like, wait a minute. This is John Everest. <laughs> Not like it wasn't recognizable, but the, just that it was a different, it just felt like you were doing what you said, something different to test something out. I I played it for like a couple hours uh, initially, like when it came out. And I remember I have this like process with games where if I like something a lot, but I'm doing other things, I'll go, okay. And I'll like dog ear it. And I'll come back to it. I'll, I'll bookmark it. I'm going to dedicate a lot of time to this. And like two hours in, I was like, oh, it's XCOM and Indiana Jones. And that's not a mixture I thought <laughs> I wanted. And I do. And it rules. Um, it's, and it's gotten to the point now where just like every night I'll do a mission. Uh, if I haven't mm. had time to do anything else, just to like live in the space it feels so grounded it feels so like connected to itself the way the characters talk that's another thing like the story and the dialogue is really good and a lot of the games that are tactics based especially XCOM maybe specifically XCOM characters don't really talk to each other um mm -hmm. in Lamplighters League they're very much involved they know each other or if they don't know each other they're figuring each other out in between missions week to week um so you got like that going the, the different ways the turn-based combat plays out that, than other games. Uh, being able to like walk around in real time and do stealth stuff and then jump into combat is great. But then that and the music. And like I'm like a big I'm a big stickler for like the music feeling appropriate. Um which is an interesting thing to say because as I say it, I don't think I've ever come across a game where I'm like, this doesn't really fit. Uh I'm sure I have, but I don't remember it as much. Um but like, I listen to scores all the time, and listening to the Lamplighters League score, there's, like, songs that come up, and I have distinct memories attached to each one of, like, sneaking through mm. a, a fort uh, or, a, or a checkpoint and doing stealth stuff um, with, uh, of course, I'm going to forget his name. The guy that calls himself uh, the genie, or the Jin, Gentleman Jin. Uh, Latif, yeah. Latif. I was going to say Naveen. Latif. Yeah, sneaking around and knocking people out with Latif uh, or punching through a bunch of people with bruisers. It's great. Um, mm. It's great. And I don't want to talk about Lamplighters League the whole time, but, you know, like, jazz is kind of intimidating, at least to me. <laughs> and, like, musically, I'm far less talented than you and have far less experience. But, like, jazz is intimidating both to approach and, I imagine, to compose. Um, and I don't think this game feels like it was challenging. You know what I mean? Like you can tell when someone's stepping out of their comfort zone and it maybe doesn't feel like it's as strong as it could be. I don't get that at all here. And given like you're a very talented person, you've been also, you've been working on this, like you just said for five years, which is kind of crazy, which is like last time we talked, you were probably mostly done with this or like at least neck deep in it uh and that's great 
because you, you know people don't understand how long games take, how long the <laughs> dovetail is on those. Um, so like, what did you do? You have experience composing jazz? No, I mean that was that was another sort of rule I set for myself initially they approached me about the game and it was kind of just, you know, an idea for them. This was that five, five years ago. Mm. Um, they had the idea, they were kind of workshopping it and creating the lore and the world, doing the world building and stuff like that. And the way it was sort of pitched to me was, you know, it's a jazz era, sort of, uh, like you said, Indiana Jones meets XCOM with a pulp noir vibe to it. They, initially we're thinking you know we want to maybe have this be a, a full through traditional jazz score of of the time sure and when they said that i was like well <laughs> i don't know one i don't i can't do that sure. and two i don't want to do that either because you know it's a lot of work to go and and learn the the repertoire and and try to like you know mime my way through the process of Sure. scoring something with a jazz aesthetic i also don't necessarily think it would work well for the story that they were trying to tell because like you said this is um you know this is a um game that really primarily what brings it to life is the characters um sure. in inside of this alternate world that they've created the writing is so good and the lore building is so good and the interaction of these characters is so good that um, not saying jazz isn't isn't that sort of 30s style jazz is not capable of this, but um, I really felt like it required a, a really cinematic approach uh, to it. And I think I'm also quite a stubborn composer in that I do like to step out and challenge myself, of course, but I also I refuse to to. Um, to mime i guess i refuse to and maybe it's just because i'm 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 it's kind of like an i'm incapable of um writing in a way that isn't natural to me because the way i write is so i feel like um a part of me and what moves me when i'm writing i'm not thinking about writing a piece and thinking like oh well this piece of music i remember did this so what if i do something like that i'm more writing in a way that it sort of is like this sounds cool to me that brings me to this point when this sounds cool to me and connecting together and i'm kind of you know doing it like in that way and so i'm always sort of like pulling from things that are really familiar to sure. me and jazz is not one of those things at all really i mean i listen to a lot of jazz and, and have a lot of respect for jazz but i would never uh try to pretend that i am uh, a cogent jazz composer sure. um and so you know like i i kind of like focused on the orchestra part the the larger than life action adventure part and then incorporated pieces or remnants of the jazz era or jazz influence that i have that i'm familiar with and kind of sprinkled those sure. throughout whenever whenever I could. And so like there's some tracks where like, you know, the orchestra isn't even swinging or anything. And there's there's um, jazz elements still on top of that. And the jazz elements are sometimes playing in a very orchestral cinematic way sure. and not in a jazz way. And I think those just the timbre quality of the instruments and then 
the, the moments where it does sound or get a little bit more into like the jazz um uh like quote unquote sound helps to like ground it in the in the in the time period and then relying on you know the the writing and the characters and the world building is um is where the cinematic elements the orchestral elements really are able to carry the story or help augment the story sure um in those times and then also like um i think the nature of the game is very like you said there's infiltration there's these different sort of elements that of people who come together and form a unit and that's very jazzy to me in a lot of ways in terms of like you have a, a, a instrument or instrument uh, a musician who alone they can do their own thing they can improvise and then they come together and they sort of make this cohesive unit and that was another rule that i kind of set up at the beginning was like i want to essentially have the game kind of the music base itself on that idea have each character in the game represented by um an instrument essentially so like latif is represented by the clarinet or or group of clarinets so when you take control of him you'll start to hear a little more clarinets in the um in the ensemble um and so that kind of natural even if it's not playing traditional jazz stuff that natural kind of flow of different instruments taking over has like sort of like uh jazz aesthetic to it and then also hire like hiring and working with um nick toretta who's a really great saxophonist um he and he played a, a flute and clarinet um, in the main theme. There was a moment of the main theme where it was like I just kind of set up a little uh, saxophone um, backing track portion of the main theme. It's like 30, 30 seconds long or so. Yeah. And I just said, uh, just come in and we'll, we'll we'll just do some improvisation over it. And he recorded saxophone, flute and clarinet and then i kind of stitched them together in a way and um that was you know that made a lot of sense to me because it was like you know we're going to focus on the cinematic stuff bookend with the cinematic stuff and then in the middle i think the heart of this jazz improv is is something that i didn't even write you know it's nick is is kind of um freestyling his way over over the backing track and um to me that that's that's kind of as far as my jazz <laughs> repertoire sure. goes is sure. having some having someone do most of the work for me um <laughs> that's but, kind of quintessentially uh, jazz though right to like let a musician who's talented in whatever instrument that they have a hold of uh find their way into an ensemble right so it sounds like you kind of provided the ensemble and then had those bars set aside for solo or improvisation which ended up, of course, like playing across as if it was all fully composed, but that's also kind of the nature of jazz. Like, obviously, there's a good, I wouldn't say a huge portion of people that listen to music, but like a good chunk of people that listen to music that hear jazz and go, it doesn't make sense. Uh, and there's also that <laughs> really funny line from The Office where Angela says she doesn't understand jazz. It's just a bunch of people playing the right notes, which is very funny to me. <laughs> Um, but that's like kind of the the core of 
jazz is like improvisation and collaboration to the point of mm. not understanding which one of those things is happening at, at what time. Um, and just like even mentioning like Latif having the clarinets playing when you're controlling him, like cloak and dagger is by far the song I listen to probably the most because mm. the stealth stealth is one of my favorite things in the world. I think it's a genre that's like, it kind of died on the vine in the 2010s, like Splinter Cell's last game mm. came out in 2012, maybe 13. Um, and there hasn't been a Splinter Cell since then. And it started to come back towards the end. We got like new Ghost Recons and especially like the most recent Ghost Recon that really leans on stealth. But like Assassin's Creed ventured away from stealth. Um, mm -hmm. even, even the stealth gods of the industry, Arcane, did Deathloop which isn't really stealth at all. Like you don't have a single silenced weapon or a way to, you can stab people. So you can do some stuff. But what I'm trying to get at <laughs> is that like stealth is my favorite way to engage with the game. It feels like puzzle solving. And so like stealth mm. added to tactics is like doubling down on that. And so like cloak and dagger has these, these little staccato dun, 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 that's playing while you're moving. But also, it's got, like, the saxophone solo that, like, kind of weaves its way in. And like you mm -hmm. mentioned, like, you've, you've built this orchestral piece that is the, the, the main thing you're hearing. And then you have these jazz bits come in. And it, it works kind of twofold for me. And I wonder how much of this was intentional because, and you did kind of mention it just, just moments ago, there's this crazy conflict going on in the story the lore of the game right you've got these people from some people have like world war one experience <laughs> some people are just criminals um and they're doing a thing that like immediately they're like absolutely not there's no chance in hell that this <laughs> is real and then i think it's the first excuse my dog he barks at everything um <laughs> so does mine <laughs> i think it's the first um key what is it called oh the keystone keystone yeah i want to say keyframe and that wasn't it that's the animation thing um the first keystone mm. you pick up and those mummies get up and latif is like the fuck? <laughs> um, yeah exactly so then everybody comes back and they're like okay maybe maybe this guy's onto something um but what the score does then for me with that context is you've got this very obviously cinematic thing happening, right? This rising motion, this rising action of people fighting evil, right? Which demands, I think, a cinematic kind of score. But then when the jazzy bits come in, they do a couple of things. One, they remind you, like, the era, right? But also, mm. I think it contextualizes these characters who are walking around, all of a sudden swept up in a thing more epic uh, than themselves more grand than themselves and then the jazz comes in and it's almost like the characters are like yeah but i'm from the 30s like i'm from this time i'm a this person and yes i'm doing this but like i don't know i, I, I don't know if that makes sense it seems like it's them reminding themselves of who they are and where they're mm. from as much as it is reminding the player this is what this person's good at does that make sense yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, that's definitely my, 
you know, my motive for, for that is, is continuously, um, you know, that like the push and pull of the, the, we always had these two concepts, the larger than life adventure, and then, um, you know, the people coming together and like these flawed individuals who many don't even, like you said, they don't really care what they're doing as long as they're getting paid at first. Sure. Uh, many are extremely broken, um, have very traumatic pasts or have done very bad things right. um, or just have lost faith in kind of like the humanity of the world after, after the great war and whatnot. Right. And I love that like concept of, you know, not being like campy with it, but like um, showing kind of the unfolding uh, onion of, of these individuals and that, they're multi-layered. They seem broken, but the, uh, but they're not irredeemable. And they find a lot of, um, you know, they're constantly coming up against these supernatural or just unbelievable uh, circumstances. And that kind of like brings them alive, makes them alive again, you know, to a certain sure. extent, because they, they, they can find a purpose in what they're doing rather than just trying to eke out a living as the mercenary or whatever it is. But yeah, like that cloak and dagger track, you know, we, that one we recorded all in the room at Abbey road and in, in London. And, you know, for those jazz elements, those were, those were parts where I wrote, you know, I wrote the, all the notes for that. Um, so there wasn't, there wasn't improvisation in that. And so in the, that sp specific case, you know, I'm trying to tell a very kind of specific, um, story or, or, or give off a, a specific vibe there. And it is, yeah, like the reminder, the kind of the, the reminder of like the humanity of the situation and, you know, not, not, not to be too, uh, taken off track or distracted by the, the flaming mummies and the crazy <laughs> combat and all that stuff that yeah. you're you're working with these the complex un people undead fish people walking around <laughs> i came across yeah. a lore bit last night about the what are they called the drowned um oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i came across a lore bit last night that was like uh strum having done like an autopsy on one that died and confirming like yeah, they're drowned is the right way to describe them. Like the lungs are full of water and they have like gill like apparatus in them. And I was just like, oh, it's so weird. <laughs> uh, it rules so much. But yeah, like it's so cool. Yeah, the world building they do is just uh, it's oh, amazing. It's, it's, it's amazing. so fun. And you get the what you mentioned before of like some of these people are just in it for money. You get that really quickly because of how adept the writing is. Like Eddie. Who I first time uh, Ingrid calls him Mr. Sawyer. I was like, oh hey, that's my last name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like Eddie is, at least for I'm like eight or nine weeks in. Uh, but like the first four or five weeks, he's just like, I mean, if this guy keeps paying us, it's fine. But like he's stopped mm -hmm. doing that. He doesn't say anything different. He's not really talking at all. And like, it's interesting because I think that in tactics games, uh, specifically because. So many of them allow you to kind of editorialize in your own brain or add story yourself. Mm -hmm. That 
this may not be the intention, but it's absolutely what I'm reading into it. Um, is that like, yeah, Eddie talks like every week for the first four weeks about like, I don't know, I'm just doing this because the money is good. But as soon as it's bad, like I'm getting out. And then he stops talking for like four weeks as I'm adding new recruits and like you're seeing more. And I imagine there's going to be a point in time where he, his tone changes because like he's super talkative. Suddenly he's not. And I can only imagine in my brain that that's because like he's realizing, oh, this is, this is more than just a paycheck. Um, and I love that uh, the folks at Hairbrain Schemes made room for that kind of narrative in a game like this because like I love tactics games to death. And I very much love the fact that, especially in XCOM, again, I keep talking about it, but like in those games, there's really no story between the soldiers. They're just people that you use to carry out missions. The story is all above them, but you end up making that story as you go. And you have like one character that survives every mission and dies in the last mission. And you don't reload mm. because you're like, this makes sense. They sacrificed themselves on the last mission. They had to see it through <laughs> in that way. And that's not at all written. And it's, I think it's like brave and also scary, obviously to like, take a game that's tactics based and go, well, no, all these people matter and have really distinct personalities. Uh, and I think that rules. Is there something about tactics games that attract you to composing them? Or is it like, so you've done uh, two Shadowrun games, uh, Battletech, this, um, I, I guess you could say that disintegration in a way is oh, like, yeah. is like <laughs> a is like a an extension of tactics, right? It's kind of a mixture of a couple of things. Mm. But you've also done Overwatch. You've also done some work with PUBG, so like not exclusively tactics games, but it does seem like those tend to be where you do the most work, and that may be I may be wrong about that, but is there something about the tactics genre that attracts you to making music for them you know i think I, I kind of fell into the genre just by way of my relationship with harebrain schemes when they first they're really i mean shadow i did like a um a trailer for shadow run returns and that was like literally the first gig i'd ever gotten in in games sure. and that kind of started the relationship with with them and so you know that led to Dragonfall and and Hong Kong and then BattleTech. They also did a, a game called Necropolis and some other stuff. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's mostly just the nature of of my relationship with Hairbrain Schemes because that was sort of their bread and butter. Um, and and you know, doing more, you know, more um, uh, obviously non tactics games as well. But I I do like the nature of a tactics tactics game is um you have a lot of leeway with the music in a tactics sure. game in terms of there's there's not you know there's we, we create interactivity where we can but there's typically not a whole lot of um uh, you know changing environments uh and like you know cutscenes coming all over the place and stuff like that you're sort of like left with this this canvas of of music that some people could play for 
15 minutes on and some people could play for two hours on on the same mission sure um so yeah I, I like that about it it's also you know you have to be careful about repetitiveness and you know you always i'm always wanting to have more music than is possible you know obviously with these games you have a, a limit to how much music you can get get in there sure but um yeah you know tactics games are they give you a lot of freedom to um to write you know long pieces of music long piece of uh variated um uh types of music and you know even though there's really only two states in them of combat and 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 stealth it does give you a lot of interesting um interesting sort of um creativity to 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 try things out and yeah. you know, like for, for battletech we were messing around with like um uh you know the music and and shatter and music changing based on like how many enemies are left and stuff like that that's a pretty standard thing yeah. or how how far you are away to a, a waypoint and things like that um but yeah I, I like that in tactics games it's sort of music is is always it's always there it's always sort of a, a figure and sure. so you're very exposed so you have to be very conscious of of the music that you make and make sure that it's um pleasing sure. for sure Sure. Um, can't hide very very easily <laughs> no no you kind of have to <laughs> players are gonna live in it so you have to you have to be prepared yeah. for that um along those lines is there a particular like facet of a tactics game in terms of creating music for perhaps like a menu or a specific moment that stands out project to project as similar in its weight that's a might be a weird question what i'm what i'm leading to is one of my i i will pro i promise i'll stop talking about xcom but one of my favorite <laughs> musical moments from a tactics game for years is the original xcom enemy unknown uh original the first the first reboot game um i think it's michael mccann who composed and the the specific scene where you've decided on the mission and you get into the hangar bay and you're picking your soldiers and the big like percussive like we're about to go to battle score that comes in to this day i'll still pull that up sometimes and just like listen to it because it's so good <laughs> um and as a result every tactics game i play when you get to that moment um and some games don't do that i don't think mutant year zero um ever had a moment where you choose what operatives or soldiers you're going to take you just kind of walked around but in games where that happens and you are picking all right these are the guys i'm taking with me um i always listen to that one more closely because i'm like oh, is it going to be as good as that one that one that i heard when i first got into tactics games um is there anything like that between these games that like you've caught yourself focusing more on because this is the thing you feel like you have to nail yeah, definitely. I mean, for, for like Lamplighters League, um, so I, one of the, the first track that I wrote was basically a suite of music um, just to like give give the, give Hairbrain Schemes inspiration and, and stuff and sort of start the project off. That was a long time ago. 
that ended up being the main theme, but also tied into that was the map theme, which plays when you're looking at the map. Um, and also, I believe at the end of it was um, what we call, I don't even remember what it's called on the soundtrack. I think it might be called this. It's called like mission prep, I think. Mm -hmm. And those were kind of the, the touchstone pieces that are heavily um kind of over indexed on as as uh, ones we think will stick into people's minds a lot because you know they're sure. they're starting up the game they're hearing the main theme they can skip it whatever but in the um in the uh uh safe house you're looking at the map often you're kind of planning strategizing and so that one I knew was a very important piece of music to over index on. Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, picking your squad was another one that we, I did, I, I did a pass on it at first that was just a lot more mellow. I think um, at the end of the track, you'll hear it kind of goes into like a, there's like gypsy elements, the mm -hmm. sort of instrumentals from Eastern Europe and stuff that sort of co combines as the track kind of calms down. At first I had really only that, type kind of style throughout the whole um the whole thing and i got some feedback that was like we like you said we want to make this sort of like you feel like you're gearing up you're going out it might be the last time you see these some of these characters and you're going into battle you're going into war and like highlight the larger than life adventure sure so i kind of edited that and the, now the first part of that track is like super you know over the top cinematic and then it it sort of mellows out and goes into more of like a um still hype still kind of like hyped up to get into battle but a little more chilled and um um uh, yeah because i mean that's the one you're, you're kind of hearing every single mission you're gearing mm -hmm. up and and some people i mean i I've, i'm terrible at uh gauging how people interact with these games to a certain extent because i'm like i play like a psychopath like i have like 500 hours logged in the game but like i don't think about anything i'm just like boom 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 get me in sure, there like sure. you know i'm like using all abilities as soon as i can just being like completely kind of stupid with with my <laughs> planning but i i've seen people play friends that play and they're so slow so meticulous just like kind of thinking out loud like oh i'll bring eddie and like should i give him this like oh what if i did this and i'm like wow like so i i it made me re reevaluate I, the same thing happened to me with battletech too i played that like like a uh, like a moron sure. but um i think that's the nature of these games too is is they're yeah. just people can really 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 go deep into them uh from the tactic standpoint and then you have people like me who are just like guns blazing like no thought to anything just sure. <laughs> running in getting everyone killed but the good the good part for me is that i have cheats so i could just revive people and you know cheat my way through it all yeah yeah but. There's, there's, uh, <laughs> that's awesome you're like eh, well i went in and did a bunch of crazy stuff and this guy died but i could just yeah it. yeah but i think that's yeah. part of a part of i think by the end of a tactics game I, ha I do speed up but the first half at least it's me being very careful because other games are so punishing with mistakes where, you know, somebody gets hurt. It's just hurt, right? That's the first level. And then you come back and it's like, yeah, they got shot. So they're wounded. You can't use them for a couple of days. And you're like, oh, shit. That was like the mm -hmm. number one guy. 
So with games like that, I end up like really, really maxing out trying to figure out how to do perfect runs and like eliminate targets before they get in a position where they can hurt my characters. For Lamplighters League, uh, it's also that and um, <clears throat> oh, what's the mech tactics game? That's like not turn based, but it's like you can see forward in time. Uh, Phantom Brigade. Oh, oh, hmm. I don't think I've heard of that one. Oh, Phantom Brigade's great. So like, is it? You get like a the 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 reason why you're called the Phantom Brigade is you have this technology that lets you see five seconds ahead of time, with absolute. Mm. So you can scrub the timeline like you're editing video and see how enemy mechs and tanks are going to move. And then you plan your motions and you hit play and everything plays out for five seconds. And then it goes back into another turn. You get another five seconds. It rules. Interesting. Sounds cool. Oh, it's great. It's great. It's a, it's a, um, brace yourself, uh, game that like, Mm. I remember when it got announced years ago and then brace yourself, picked it up, uh, picked up the studio. Uh, but anyway, the, the way that like lamplighters league and, uh, Phantom Brigade both work is that like yeah your units are going to take damage so long as they don't in Lamplighters League get overstressed or in um, mm. or in um, Phantom Brigade so long as they don't their mech doesn't get doomed and they have to eject you're largely going to be mm. fine you'll have to do some repairs but you're going to be fine um, I caught Lamplighters League right in the beginning it was like if people go down stuff happens and I'm like okay but this is the first mission, so it can't it can't be that bad. And so, like Eddie got absolutely slammed one mission. I think it's the first mission where Lady Nicastro shows up, and I was like, mm-hmm. well, "I'm gonna try and kill her. I'm not gonna leave. I don't run away." <laughs> and she she was way too powerful, and Eddie got knocked down. And I was like, "Oh, well, we'll see what happens." And nothing happened. And mm-hmm. I was like, "All right." And then a couple missions later, the game, of course, is like, if they go down now, it's bad stuff will happen. But, like, that carefulness in the beginning is me, like, feeling out those systems. Like, how much are you going to punish me for letting people get hurt? How much is it going to be punishing to let people go down? If when they're down, are they dead? Uh, when they're mm-hmm. down and that timer expires, are they dead? Um, but, yeah, I'm one of those meticulous, like, I'll save scum. And what I, <laughs> I love and hate about Lamplighters League is you can't. You can save before mm. you engage, but if you're in the middle of an engagement, there's no, like... I don't know if this attack's going to work. Save. There's just a the, the big icon on the top that's like, no, you can't do that. Um, which I like. It's, yeah. made me, it's made me deal with more oops shit instead of like, oh, no, no, no. These guys are perfect, which, which again, makes more sense in the context of the story and the characters. Um, mm-hmm. I, do, I do love, though, that like tactics are this genre where people do wildly different things. People are fast, people are slow, people do all range stuff, people do melee stuff. I've never been one to do melee stuff in a tactics game, but like Ingrid beats the shit out of most of the people that I mm-hmm. fight in Lamplighters because I'll just wound them with everybody else and then she has the ability to knock people out and get AP back and I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to keep punching. <laughs> it's great. It's um, awesome. So like... Tactics being uh, a thing that happened more often because of your relationship with Hairbrained. Um, is there a genre of game that you haven't composed for that you'd like have an itch to do? 
Um, so right now I'm actually in the middle of wrapping up a, a pretty massive project uh that is like a um uh third person like open world project so like big big time like um kind of the the from a music standpoint it's one of those like go anywhere do anything yeah. anything can happen and environments changing combat is changing like different types of enemies are coming in and, and stuff like that that's been really really cool um and um I, sh I should be able to talk more about that in the next few months but Sweet. that that was my first really kind of open world type of game and it was it was very cool and it's just you know it's just like uh the amount of music is 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 a lot there's a lot more music a lot more variations a lot more sort of um uh uh rolls of the dice happening in terms of like what you're hearing from time to time sure. and i always i always find that fascinating and and interesting because I'm, I'm very much into like I, I like to write informed very being very informed about how the music is going to be used in the game um because I, I think it just kind of affects the way that i i write uh music and how then export the music and how it gets implemented and stuff Sure. So having having like these really intricate complex systems, like kind of diving into them and understanding how how the music will have to change and how writing will have to adapt to that has been pretty pretty cool. Yeah, so that, sure. that that was sort of a dream come true project there. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm just always I'm interested in so and really any game that is that is has an interesting has interesting lore or is sort of telling an interesting compelling story i'm i'm all in kind yeah, of yeah. i don't won't discriminate against any sort of sure style of game sure is there a is there a uh same question but instead of genre uh properties is there like a, a batman game that you wish you could do or a star wars or star trek is there like a an ip that like would be childhood john patting you on the back the whole time like we fucking did it <laughs> yeah i mean all of those are on the list like star wars on the list for sure um i i would love to do an x-men adjacent game just growing up being like a huge x-men sure. fanatic um yeah i mean um we need the community to yeah. rally around midnight suns to get a sequel to that so that you can I loved Midnight that, Suns. That I thought it was rules. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I need to get back. I need to get back to it. I kind of got busy and had to had to uh stop playing for a little while. But yeah, that was, that was a great game. Yeah, super I played, fun. I played until the first act ended because it felt like, mm. oh, we're getting to like maybe the midway to two thirds of the way through point of the game because things are coming to a head and it said act two. And I was like, oh shit, this game is a lot bigger. <laughs> And I literally played like one mission after that and got distracted because I was like, I need so much more time. Yeah, yeah. That, game, that game rules. Also, there's this, I don't know if you have the same opinion, but superhero games aren't like in large numbers, but there's a few of them. Um, the Spider-Man games being, of course, like the, the, uh, the monolith right now, but the Arkham games were in the past. Uh, Midnight Suns, for sure. I've noticed that like, Despite 
the MCU being largely like motifless for the first like six years. Like a lot of the characters didn't have themes that were prominent. It's mm. weird too because there's like a YouTube series that was called Every Frame of Painting that talked about Marvel movies not having a ton of like really distinct themes. Like the beginning of the mm. video is him like walking around talking to people and saying like hum something from Star Wars and people immediately hum something and from Harry Potter people immediately hum something and then they're like Marvel and people are like oh wait and then of course at the end there's the guy humming the Spider-Man song uh, or singing I think he sings every, the entire theme of Spider-Man with the lyrics included but <laughs> despite the MCU kind of dropping the ball on that in the beginning um, and very much making up for it I think at the end uh, especially with the Avengers like that theme is distinct mm -hmm. people can actually like recall that if they need to it seems like marvel uh and dc games though do a really good job of nailing these characters need to have themes that make sense uh and like a light motif that comes back which is the nature of a light motif but like <clears throat> giving them themes and subtleties that like you catch and go oh yeah that's because this person's on screen um mm -hmm. is there have you ever had to do anything like that like something that felt like the genre or maybe the property that you're working on called for something maybe it was like a genre of its own like i've noticed superheroes themes all kind of have that same like bravado and fanfare to them the mm. the midnight sun score sometimes i'll just sit in that menu <laughs> the opening menu because the theme that plays is so freaking good um or the spider-man the marvel's the insomniac spider-man games those themes are really good um yeah i've, I've lost my own question while i was asking it like is there <laughs> is there something to a property that demands that do you think or is it more just like the ease of composing for such a distinct like monolithic character yeah i mean i think that it's a, it's sort of a mix in of that in, in games there is um there's also a tendency to avoid too much motivic um pieces of music i think largely to avoid um repetition sure um and also i think a lot of it may just come down to time you know it, some scores are are written incredibly quickly and pieces of music are moved around or used in different places and the composer may not even have the ability to sit down and do a suite of music or yeah. or write um specific themes I can't say the, the project I'm working on right now is very, very theme-based. And so every major character has a theme, every faction has a theme, every area. And, you know, it's kind of in that traditional realm of of um, of thematic writing. And it's a really good way to, for me, it's a really great way to approach any anything because it, it, grounds a project and like you said it, it kind of ties everything together and it allows you as a composer to um, have a constraint of motivic development and when you're writing it can make it a lot easier for you to, to be able to 
uh, you know, just you have have a sort of something already written um, sure. that you can expand upon and and whatnot. And yeah, I think it just grounds the world um, as well and and creates attachment to the world in a way that is subconscious in a lot of ways. So it has been really fun to work on on that uh, for the past few years and and um, really have support too from from uh, the studio to uh, have very motivic um, music. Sure. So yeah, I mean it's it's just you know it it depends for BattleTech for example like we and largely avoided too many motifs too many themes just because of there's a lot of concern for the repetitive nature of of the game um and sort of the modular structure of the game itself uh there's in video games there can there can you can kind of open up pandora's box when you're dealing with with thematic elements if you have a modular game because you know you're like okay well i have this theme for this faction but then in this next dlc you're gonna have this faction fighting this faction and then that faction fighting you and your but your character can change and it's like okay let's combine those all together and that's it's it just gets a little too yeah you build yourself uh, hard to plan out yeah exactly so we've kind of done a little bit of that for this current project and it, you know it's working it's worked really really well but you have to you know constrain yourself a bit and you, you can't kind of you can't attach the theme to too many too many things sure. um it, it's a lot more difficult than in film for example yeah sure i imagine in film you're just like oh yeah i get to control what's happening right and in a game yeah like, well <laughs> the these things are all stacked <laughs> all of a sudden and we have to exactly. make them work there's a yeah, and I think like okay. people are also worried about like the IP and stuff, and like you know you have a, have a really strong theme or a weak theme, and you got to live with that for the next twenty years. And sure, um, so you, you you know the people that are are working are doing these projects, helming these projects that um, know and love that that thematic style of writing. They 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 really like make sure that we're doing it the right way and that we're sure. getting something that is going to stick. Sure. Yeah. And I guess it's, I guess it's, it's interesting if you think about like, there's a lot of different star Wars games and I would argue that most of them, if not all of them find a way to carve out their own way to have a thematic uh, presence in, in sound and that like, it doesn't feel derivative. It feels related. Uh, that's kind of a forte of star Wars is that like, so far, at least in my opinion, almost all bits of it, regardless of, you know, whether it's the, like, Masters of Kasai fighting game from way back in the day, uh, or the Jedi series um, that Respawn's making, like, the music feels like Star Wars. Um, and that's both, like, a testament probably to John Williams creating a, a soundscape that is compatible with a lot of different things, and also... Um, that universe prompting a thought that seems to be shared amongst people. Um, and I think the furthest we maybe get from something that immediately sounded like, oh, Star Wars, was uh, 
Ludwig Göransson's score for Mandalorian, mm-hmm. right? Which feels like weird and alien, but it's also like the furthest from core Star Wars that we've been. Uh, but like, there's that, right? Something just by its nature instills like a sound. And then one of my favorite videos of the last couple of years was when uh, somebody picked apart all of the different Spider-Man scores and realized that like the original like da 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 has been like taken apart and reorganized into like four or five of the different themes. Like the Sam Raimi theme is the same notes. The Tom Holland Spider-Man theme is the same notes played in a different order. The Marvel Spider-Man games are the same notes played in a different order. Um, mm. So it makes me wonder how many times like that has happened where people are like, well, this is a huge thing that I have to pay homage to somehow. And how many times people have just taken from that and altered it. Uh, Halo is also another one where like Marty O'Donnell and... <laughs> He made amazing music. Very interesting person <laughs> now. Um, I forget that I follow him on Twitter, and then like stuff pops up, and I'm like, yeah, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> Marty, but Marty wrote a really good score, and obviously everybody can like uh, at a drop of a hat hum it. But like after Reach, it's no longer him. So Halo Four was Neil Davidge, right? Like the producer for massive attack which is fucking wild oh i didn't know that yeah the halo 4 is neil davidge uh and also or davidge i don't know how you pronounce his last name and um uh kazuo Janucci. and then the halo 5 was just kazuo and then a, 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 someone else and then the halo infinite was gareth coker who did ori right and like those are three very different composers uh neil is known for like this very electronic um type of production and halo 4 really does feel like that there's several moments where you're like oh this feels like a space exploration game but it still feels like halo um and then there's moments with gareth coker where you're like this is halo but also it's got like a level of orchestral complexity that it didn't have before um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's interesting to see people like live in those pockets and play with the motif or maybe not even the motif, but just like the, the font, which isn't the right word, but the font of that, that IP, that, that, that thing, um, mm-hmm. is there, do you have like a, a favorite version of something like this, of like a score that feels so true to where it comes from, but like is done mm. by somebody different. That's interesting. That's a good question. Um, gosh. Trying to rack my brain for something <laughs> that comes to mind. Cause I mean, I tend to like, I tend to really enjoy people coming to an IP and um, like a storied IP and either having the ability or, or being brave enough to like shed all the baggage from it. You know what I mean? Like, 
And I think for big IPs, it's mostly out of their control, right? Like yeah. most composers are going to be under the thumb of sort of the IP holders idea for what this thing needs to sound like. Sure. That can be super restrictive and super frustrating, I think, as a composer, because especially if you're working on a project with an IP that you love so much, you you there is a way like you said of of writing within the realm of the universe and um taking it in a different direction sure um you know like i i i did really like andor score you know like i think like that was it was very understated and very um focused on moments rather than major themes and stuff sure. like that and i liked that you know i liked i i one of the, the things that i dislike a lot and especially with huge ips like star wars and stuff is where if you um you know you're what you're 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 watching something that's in the universe and you can just like tell like okay this is the part where a producer came in and said hey we need to like add something here to yeah. like yeah you know give give people that little dopamine hit in their brain of this is <laughs> this is yeah you know star wars I, might I, be the most egregious offender of that honestly <laughs> <laughs> i mean it, yeah it's it's it, but like you know we're like already having and stephen barton's work on on the jedi survivor series i think it's fantastic right like gordy yeah. and and stephen have they do have a way to to honor John Williams without, with kind of like, with while still um, having their own voice. Sure. Um, so I think that's a huge feat. I mean, just like that score alone is a huge feat, but then being able to like find some individuality in there while, while supporting this kind of iconic IP is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 uh, you know, it seems very stressful as a composer to have to have that weight of, of an IP and, and being a, being, having to walk that line of like, Oh gosh, like I got to, that was kind of my thing with Battletech. And there was a little bit of um, naivety on my part too, because, you know, though I grow, grew up, you know, MechWarrior 2 was like one of the first PC games I ever played. I like didn't really get into the universe of Battletech after that. I didn't get like sucked into the, sure. into the, universe and i and there was a moment where it was like oh i have like i can go and like just like absorb everything and dissect it all or i can like kind of put my blinders on and approach this really like without the um as much effect of the past Sure. on me as possible sure. luckily harebrained schemes was super into that and they left me really alone through yeah. the whole process and just let me kind of take take my own stab at it and um i think it would have really suffered and would have would have not even probably been received as well if i had kind of gone back and tried to to um touch on on what had done been done before there was like a few call, i did like one call out i think for an older score uh from MechWarrior 2 because i love that soundtrack um but I think like one of my favorite things is is 
composers kind of like putting up two middle fingers and being like you thought you were going to hear this no i'm just gonna like we're gonna do like you know solo voice or like uh you know acoustic guitar and and like some weird aleatoric strings like uh you know i love that i love the 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 risk taking on that i don't know how how risk taking it was but one of the first things that came to mind when you mentioned that is uh hilder Daughter's score for battlefield because like yeah battlefield has a theme and i think that hilder nails when that theme needs to be used right like when it's starting or whatever but the game's been out for two years now um and i also am not entirely aware of how projects like that go for composers because like keeping a composer on staff is expensive it's ea so who they should be able to I don't know what what I'm saying is I don't know if she's continued to score throughout the development of the game, but as more stuff keeps coming out, uh, and even when it initially came out, like you could tell that like yeah the theme exists that's there, but every other Battlefield game maybe save the super futuristic one twenty one forty two, which I don't remember that score at all. I need to go back and listen to it, but every other one's very obviously like big orchestral and it's got like the same theme and that same like feeling through it. Not to say that they're at all like copy pasted. That's not what I'm trying to say, but like the 2042 score is so different because it's so electronic, almost to the point of feeling alien at points at parts that it's one of my favorite things, like starting that game (laughs) and just like listening to like the loading screen as it gets started. There's a couple of times where like, events have been going on or like a new season has started and like my uncle and I have to both stop each other and be like, this sounds like fucking Trent Reznor. This rules. This, I like this in battlefield. Keep this. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting to see like someone with a lot of, a really good grasp of their talent over a space, moving into a space that has expectation and not upsetting that expectation, but moving it and saying, Yes, mm-hmm. you can get that epic feeling, but what if it sounded like this? Um, yeah, that stuff rules. Uh, do you have, I mean, I imagine that you probably listen to other scores, obviously, because I remember you bringing Hilder up last time uh, and mentioning the folks doing Jedi and stuff like that. Do you have like a short list of your favorite game scores from this year that you came across? Oh my goodness. Um <laughs> also like if you have friends, don't don't get yourself in trouble by <laughs> I don't mean to get you in trouble by <laughs> having you pick favorites. Uh it doesn't have to be an itemized or numbered list. It can just be, you know, a few sure. things that stood out. Sure. I mean, for me, so I, I one of my good friends is is Will Roger and I really liked his score for Mortal Kombat. Um was excellent he's always pushing boundaries he's one of the i think he's one of the most brilliant living composers honestly um and he's he's just amazing and the stuff that he does is like another example of like a storied ip lots of stuff going on there but he's able to capture the essence of it and still take it in his own direction with his own voice it's i think really fantastic to do so that definitely he's on the list um 
What else? I'm a huge sucker uh, for Sarah Shockner's scores recently. Uh, oh, yeah. The Modern Warfare scores and the Assassin's Creed Valhalla scores. Yeah, Sarah's, Sarah is amazing. Sarah is amazing. She's definitely always on my list whenever she's she's released something. Sure. Um, another thing was... Oh, it's really good. It's cool. Okay. It okay. definitely captures like the, the, yeah, it, it did a really good job of capturing the, the awe of seeing Predator for the first time, the first yeah, Predator yeah. Yeah, that rules. in a way that I thought was pretty, oh, my dog's going to freak out. <laughs> um, I also really like the score to um, Alan Wake was cool. I still haven't finished it yet, but uh, Petre Alonco's score is, yeah. is pretty cool. Okay. interesting textures and, and synths and stuff um what else <laughs> oh damn will is doing pacific drive that's yeah he's doing pacific right. drive that's exciting yeah he's he's awesome um gosh i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to defer this for the next time we talk my brain's not working correctly i should have sent it ahead of time so you could think about it I've, I've already submit my my votes for for the awards too so i should i should be familiar maybe just because it's um, a little bit later here my yeah, brain yeah, is yeah. not functioning i ambushed correctly. you i ambushed you it's okay <laughs> <laughs> um did i ask you questions about food food games last time i can't remember i think i recall that yeah okay there's, it's like a thing I do at the end of every podcast, and I like right. two people I interviewed I forgot completely, and I had like <laughs> friends of mine that listen, or people in my community that listen. They were like, "Hey, you didn't do this. So I wanted to make sure I didn't do that <laughs> uh, for you." Um, but I do want to talk about food if you don't mind. I love it. Sweet. You, I love so food. You you moved to Barcelona. I have to ask, what's the like most Barcelona food? that you have like fallen in love with since getting there. Is there something you since didn't have access here? to before that you're like, now that you do, you get it as much as you can. Well, I mean, for me, it's always been the, the Hamon, the, the Iberian ham they have here, the cured, the cured ham is you can't get it anywhere, anywhere in the U S as, as easily as you can here. I don't even think it, you can really at all, unless it's some, some, special deal so yeah like sure. the ham it's very simple just iberian ham manchego um some olives and then um a little dish called pan con tomat that is a catalonian um specialty that's pretty much just a sliced uh, uh baguette lightly toasted with some olive oil and fresh cold crushed tomato on top and it's amazing it's sure. refreshing and i could eat it every day and people do and i do too and yeah. maybe a gin and tonic on top of that yeah yeah sure <laughs> sure absolutely um is there <clears throat> did you play any of the food games that came out this year uh like newer or venba i haven't i've been i've been pretty really swamped this year with the move and and sure. and projects and so really I, the only game that i've had time to really play has been alan bit of alan wake and then i did play some baldur's gate um 
uh, and traveling. Oh, that's another, that was be another um, um, on my list that I did uh, do some votes for is uh, my friend Boris's score for Baldur's Gate. I just that, that whole game is just kind of a, it's a feat to it doesn't make sense. play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, right. <laughs> The more um, stuff comes out of it, I'm like, yeah, but how? Like, how did? Yeah. How does this all work? And I got deep into that work? game for a while. Sure. Yeah, and yeah, it's one of those ones I need to get back to. I'm, I like, I'm, I think I just finished Act One, and I'm like, you know, fifty hours into it over the last <laughs> sure. however long it's been out. But yeah, yeah I, have, I, need, I, I need to get back to that. I avoided it just because I knew, like, it's gonna be a game I need to have again. Like I said, with like Lamplighters League or. Uh, a phantom brigade did the same thing like i bought that game in early access played it for like an hour and was like i'll wait till it comes out hades did the same thing i was like this is gonna be great mm. i'll wait till it's done uh baldur's gate 3 is like i know i'm gonna love it because i love D D. uh also i love tactics as i've made clear and also it's co-op so like I need to make sure my friends are... it's one of those things like planning a D D session in real life where you're like i have to make sure my friends' schedules line up with mine so we can start a mm. campaign and it be the only thing we do. Um, which may never happen, so I need to just start playing it myself. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that um, Borislav also composed like Crisis and Rise. I just realized that looking at my... Mm. That's wild. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that either, actually. I mean, it's a big gap, right? Like, just his, his IMDb page is like, Rise, Crisis, 10-year wow. gap, Baldur's Gate 3. There's Divinity Original Sin 2 in there. Uh, but it sure. sounds like the composition for Baldur's Gate probably took the five years in between Divinity and oh, yeah. the release of Baldur's Gate. I'm sure. Gosh, I need to ask him about that. I didn't realize that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's nuts. Um, you, sorry, you mentioned something earlier. I said we would talk about food. And I remember this conversation reminded me of like the modularity of music for tactics games. Mm-hmm. I teach game design, uh, intro to game design um, at Webster oh, cool. University here in town. And uh, we always have a sound design portion because the class is more dedicated to like the pillars of what game design is. So we talk about, you know, narrative, level design, play testing, sound design, character design, all sorts of different stuff. Um and in the sound design portion, there's always questions about the modularity of music and how it has to adapt to the game. In a lot of cases, like you mentioned previously, it's probably easier to do a lot of these things in movies because there's not the player, excuse me, there's not the player impacted, you know, setting changes. Uh, mm-hmm. When it comes to modularity in games, though, like, is that something that because it's so ubiquitous that like it may not be easy but it's something that you've gotten a knack for doing or is it kind of a new challenge every single time you approach it yeah it's it's there's a lot of similarities um but new challenge yeah it's it's like you said the pillars i i always talk about music system music system pillars when a game is being uh, design and early development. Um, I tend to, when I'm involved in a project, I, I want to be in there as early as possible so I can understand the game development pillars and then build a system um, 
on that. Um, and so each, yeah, each project is, 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 uh, is different, but has fundamentally kind of a same, you know, a similar, similar, uh, pillar structure to it. Obviously like a game like Lamplighters is, is a little more simple in terms of like the structure than like a large open world game, like the one I'm doing now, but if you were to dumb the the open world game down to its very basic um kind of fundamental structure it it's pretty much the same as as lamplighters as well you just have like a really strong foundation and then build up off of that um for these large games though you know there's teams of people involved uh, ensuring that the 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 systems stay sure. strong as you build on them and sure. and yeah, I mean that like the modularity is is just it mostly it's just a lot of like um competent writing with themes and stuff and then understanding how transitions are going to work in the game um and building a system or or making sure the system is set up in a way and you're stemming in your music like how you're exporting your music is set up to where you can control things in a way that allows them to like flow sure. and move between each other pretty easily yeah sure do um you know in, in film there's like a a thing that happens where people travel with the same people and work with the same people uh like Hans Zimmer has like a stable of people I'm sure he brings with him every time he scores something is there any similarity to how that works in games like implementation has to be you know so involved game to game <clears throat> do you or do like you know of composers that have like go-to people they're able to bring with them or is it something that the studio kind of provides once you've been contracted to make a score yeah it kind of depends i mean everyone has their own sort of team of people they'll rely on for for stuff like that like um uh for implementation support for me like i had a lot of help with my friends uh, andy frank and megan Carnes and um you kind of like you know i like typically you'll like will, the composer will develop a um music system and then get get help along the way uh for smaller projects for larger projects with big studios they typically have you know their in-house teams start are um setting up and developing and also implementing everything so really as the composer there, it's more you're just talking with, with them and their team and, and they're telling you how they envision this thing is set up. And then you might come to them with like ideas of like, hey, what if we did this? That actually happened recently in a, in a game where we were like, we had an idea of like um, throwing a projectile, like a grenade or whatever. And as the grenade like falls and is about to explode, creating some sort of music system structure where the music would duck down naturally and then have kind of like a small crescendo before going to nothing. And then the explosion would happen during um, no music. Sure. And it was kind of a really cool, you know, cinematic way to approach music. And we brought that idea up to the, to the technical music team. And they're like, oh yeah, we could do that. Like they tested it out, put it in the game, and then that created a whole workflow of like yeah. exporting and making sure that for each each piece we wrote, we included like, okay, here's the projectile um piece that you'll use sure. for that. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. I did I've never thought about was that something that was implemented in the game you did in the past or something you're working on now? 
Uh, that's something I'm working on now. Sick. Sick. I look forward to finding that and being like, oh, yeah, there it is. Um, that reminds <laughs> me of the way that, like, Mick Gordon's score moves in and out of Doom. Um, I, for some reason, bounced off that first game. I played it for, like, six hours. I was like, this rules. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> it's intense. Um, yeah, it was intense. Maybe it's because, like, strafing and, and walking forwards and backwards were all the same speed, and that made my brain hurt, which is very mm-hmm. much in line with old id games. But, uh when you would like jump down to do a melee finisher on a demon, like the score would dip down as you stomped. Mm. And as soon as you stomped, it would spike back. And I don't, to the point where I don't know, it just felt like everything was cued. Like it was a rhythm mm-hmm. game. Like musically, it felt like I would stomp right as a downbeat played. And I don't know if like, that's because I got lucky several times or because when it would fade down a little bit while the melee finishers happening, the score would move slightly to get you on a downbeat so that it just felt like you were moving uh, mm-hmm. with the rhythm. But that stuff is. Yeah, amazing. you can, you can definitely do that. That's there's cues that are set up on the game side and in programs like wise where uh, sometimes like the game will wait to do an animation until it's perfectly lined up with a timeline and in, in, of music and wise. So if it's if it's written in a certain way where you can afford to like you know have a little bit of a hide a hide a delay somewhere where you can make it work musically, um, yeah, it's an awesome way to to implement. Yeah, yeah, that rules. Um, last question about music. I promise. Um, did you play Hi-Fi Rush early, early, early this year? I have. I I I actually haven't. I haven't played it, but I have seen it on so many lists. I need to, I need to get into it. Yeah, I don't. I'm. I wouldn't even like tell you you have to beat it. It's very good if you have the time to play through it. Do it. But like, the first like hour of playing that game was so fucking magical because it was just like, oh my god, this all works. <laughs> the whole world's moving on beat, and like, man, I've not been a person that's played like many rhythm games outside of DDR when I was a kid, or or you know the Guitar Hero and rock band series of games um so when it came out i was like yeah fuck it and that's on xbox and i have game pass so i gave it a shot but like i think the first boss fight is a trent Reznor song (laughs) and i was like okay it's nine inch nails and i was like yeah this is gonna be great um there's black keys it's oh it's incredible oh wow yeah um didn't know that the boss fights use like licensed music and the first two are like mm. black keys and nine inch nails. It's amazing. Um, yeah, I just, you know, you saying that likewise has that capability, right? And you can cue things up to the music um, is wild because like there's so many different facets of game design that's so hard to like peel away for people that don't have access to it. And like obviously, games have to be close to the vest about what they're doing um, because you don't want to say something and then it not end up in the end of uh, in the game in the end or the like community management aspect of like people are assholes and don't understand how games work. So they see a thing and they go, Oh, it's stupid <laughs> because they don't understand. <laughs> um, but it's just interesting that like that stuff is possible and doable. Like the fact that you would be like, could we do this for, a grenade sound and the implement implementation team was like, yeah, that's wild to me. I would have thought they would have been like, oh my god, that's a lot of work. But they were just like, yeah, no, we got it. 
uh, and that rules. Yeah, I mean, some sometimes it, it is too much work or it creates too much scope, but mo many times it's relative. If the if the system is kind of already has all this information there, Wise does, does a pretty good job of being able to kind of glom onto stuff and steal data from already existing things happening in the game. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's nuts. Games are, it's they're so weird and like amazing that. We get so many every year and that they're so complex and full of so much additional stuff that just like, just like talking about a tactics game and how many people just fly through the menu to get to the next combat. There's mm -hmm. so many aspects of games that are, the work is poured into that like somebody might sit there and uh, stare at it for hours and someone else might just like tap, 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 get through it. Uh, my kid, mm. my kid just skipped a cutscene the other day. She's just getting into games, and she skipped a cutscene, and then was like, "What happened?" And I was like, "Uh, -uh. <laughs> you're gonna have to go back and rewatch that. I'm not gonna tell you you skipped it." Uh, <laughs> yeah, she played Kana Bridge of Spirits all the way through. She's, oh, cool. She's six, and that was an entire wow. experience. That's something that, like, hopefully someday you'll also have that moment where you uh, see your kid wait. like get into a game. Uh, the credits rolled and she cried and I was like, "Oh, my kids oh. having that experience that I had when I played games." Um, that's awesome. But she's addicted to that game's score as well, and she listens to it over and over again. Um, which, yeah, beautiful score. I don't remember who. I was uh, wasn't that um... Theophany? Is that the right word? Oh my gosh! I'm... Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, Theophany is the name. Rosen? In Theophany? Yeah. Um, I am completely blanking. <laughs> but anyway, you you know what I'm talking about. The the Canterbridge of Spirit score is very good. Um and feels Theophany, almost, yeah, 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 yeah. It feels like a it feels like a Pixar movie. I don't understand. Like again, when things just like are so cohesive that they have their own entire vibe. That game feels like a Pixar movie and it rules. Um, yeah. Yeah. Look forward to, I mean, if you want your kid to play games, look forward to that shit. Cause oh, definitely. It's cool. It's cool. And it was like, you expect it to be cool. Cause you're like, I like these things. If they like them, it'll be great. But it, it hit on a completely different level when it finally happened. I was like, Oh, so now I'm like <laughs> digging through games. Like what else can she play? It's like Kana, and I'm like, oh, there's recoil. There's all mm. sorts of different stuff. Um, I love that. Yeah, it's great. It's great. So you've got a lot of projects you're working on, or at least a few that are big that you can't talk about for a couple months. So maybe, just possibly, we have to talk again uh, come summertime. For sure. Um, before you go, trying to think of a good – I've been trying to think of a good food question because it's how I wrap up podcasts. Uh, and I didn't think of one ahead of time, so shame on me. Um, hmm. I don't know if I have one. If you... Okay. Okay, I got one. I got one. If you w were hired by a studio to score a game about working in the kitchen, like as a chef, yeah. what kind of music would you initially think you would try to compose for it. Is that too broad? Mm. 
no I, immediately i'm thinking like um i would be really cool to try to have everything be derived from some sort of utensil or um food item in sure. the kitchen kind of brings me back to like when i was get first getting into music like i was just playing drums on pots and pans and sure. plastic bottles and stuff like that i bet you could i'm sure that's probably been done before also but i, I think know. that would be interesting but yeah like a like a score make an instrument like, too yeah silverware and utensil percussion and yeah yeah that would be insane that'd be great i think also if it was i've always i this is like a <laughs> recurring theme with guests that i have on so we talk about like a game as a chef and what that would be like i think that if you were cooking things from different parts of the world the score should should adapt so like oh we're making tikka masala so the score adds mm. different instruments from that part of the world and then you go to make like a, a ramen or something like that and you add stuff from different parts of the world that might make it hard to be cohesive though i don't know that could be a scope a scope creep problem. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely. The restaurant only makes one type of food. And that yeah. that's the we can't You can limit it to maybe two or three would probably be probably sure. be doable. Sure. I think. And also restaurants don't do tikka masala and ramen. That would be insane. That's <laughs> too many different ingredients. <laughs> oh man. Well, I've had you for an hour and a half and it's late where you are. So I don't want to keep you any longer. Um, before I let you go, first of all, thank you for coming back uh, and talking. Of course. It was great. It's always great. Um, second, Lamplighters League's score is outstanding, and it's one of my favorite reasons for playing it. Um, and third, if people wanted to follow you or keep track of any projects that you're working on, uh, how could they do that? Uh, I think probably the easiest way, even though I don't use it that often anymore, would be Twitter at, at John Everest on there. And then Instagram, John underscore Everest. Um, yeah, I post some stuff from time to time. And yeah, there'll be there'll be some announcements coming. Sweet. Sweet. Well, uh, thanks again for hanging out. Let me take up 90 minutes of your time. Um, yeah, thank you. Good luck on all the projects and the biggest project parenting. Yeah. That shit's yeah. wild and fun. And I promise, <laughs> like I said earlier, it it's stressful, but it's going to, you're going to be more prepared for it than you think you are. Um, that's awesome here. Yeah. Yeah. We're excited. Yeah. That's I'm excited for you. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, good luck on everything and have a good 2024. It's it's January. <laughs> Weird. I know. Crazy. Yeah, man. Crazy, crazy. You too, man. Keep in touch. Yeah, will do. Take it easy.